good morning. Welcome. I'm Pastor Sean. It is great to see each and every one of you here this Sunday morning. And for those who are joining us virtually as well, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here on this Labor Day weekend. Labor Day provides us an opportunity to honor and remember those who earn their living with their hands and their back and how they have served this country and served us as well. So it's glad to to be able to reflect upon that this weekend. You'll notice uh, perhaps a few new things coming in your order of bulletin. Um, sorry, in your bulletin in the order of service. And you might even notice in there a sermon outline sheet to take some notes and fill in some blanks. If you find that later uh, during the sermon, if you find that helpful, you'd be welcome to put that to use as well. Now, as uh, we start our worship service and turn to welcome one another with the passing of the peace, I'm going to ask you to, uh, as I did ask you last week, uh, make it a point to shake at least five hands or greet at least five people. Uh, some of us might be uh, observing some restrictions for health reasons. And so if you just want to wave at someone and say the peace of Christ, that works too. Uh, you know, respects people's prerogatives there. But however you do it, be sure to greet at least five people with the traditional exchange of peace. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's now share Christ's peace with one another. It's so fun to be back together. And that leads into our first announcement. We're so excited to share that we are going to begin offering shuttle service for residents that live at Cook Valley. This service will be provided on the first Sunday of every month. And we actually are going to begin the the shuttle service next Sunday, September 11th, in order for people to attend the fall picnic. Now, I understand that if you are a resident Cook Valley, you received an email regarding the shuttle service, and it did say that the shuttle would return you to Cook Valley after the picnic. We have the shuttle during that whole time, so we can make two transportation runs, one after the service and then one after the picnic in order to accommodate everybody's needs. If you continue to notice in our middle lot, we have a big blue donation box that has Mel Trotter thrift store on it. That is a space for you to donate clothing or smaller household items. Twice a week, a truck comes and it empties that container and they take those items to the thrift shop. They then weigh how much has been donated to Mayflower and we receive gift cards for dollar amounts that can be spent at the thrift shop. So about a couple of weeks ago, we received over $250 worth of gift cards from all the donations that we've received the last couple of months. And I took those down to Family Promise 
and they then give them to their families to go shop at Mel Trotter. So it's an amazing circle of giving, and um, as we change seasons and you're going through your closets, please consider putting your donations there. This week you will be receiving our fall newsletter in the mail. It covers all of the activities, Bible studies, everything that is coming up in the fall. And in your bulletin, you have a postcard. You will receive one in the mail for yourself, but this postcard is for you to give to a friend or a neighbor for the fall picnic next week, as people have been really excited about Sean coming here and trying out Mayflower next weekend for the fall picnic would be a wonderful time to invite them. And now I'd like to invite Dr. Julia Brown forward for a moment for music. Today's organ music is representing the Mendelssohn family. So you just heard a set of variations by Felix Mendelssohn, who is the composer who's most well-known. And as research uh, comes out, his sister, Fanny Mendelssohn, turns out to be quite an exceptional composer as well. And uh, some say maybe even she is a better composer than her brother. And uh, it's possible that some of her compositions were published under her brother's name just because of the strict gender roles uh, in the 19th century. Um, and this morning we have a bell trio. Uh, these uh, Cindy Nixon and Carol McNally and Penny Kendraka. Pen, Penny has been here before playing bell solos, and now she has this trio, which came out of those couple years of pandemic when we were trying to find different ways of continuing to make music, maybe in smaller groups or with a little pod. And so uh, the three of them, um, this trio came out of the bell program at First United Methodist Church. So uh, we welcome them here, and it will be fun to watch um, how three players uh, tackle more than three octaves of bells. So there's a lot of dancing going on. Um, and next Sunday on the 11th, our choir will be back in the choir loft, the chancel choir. Um, and our first rehearsal is this Wednesday at 7.30. And I want to make sure that you all know that everyone, every one of you is invited into our choir room on Wednesday at 7.30. We would love to see you. Um, if you give me a heads up before Wednesday, I'll have a folder for you and music. And it would be wonderful to have um, more participation in our choral program. And you will see in your Sunday bulletin the call to worship. And I invite you to join me as we say it responsively. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory 
and praise. Come then, let us worship the Lord our God. Shall we bow our heads and hearts before God? Loving God, we come to you in worship and thanksgiving. 
You are, the, you are greater than we can understand. So open our eyes that we may see the wonderful truths you have shown us in Jesus. You are more loving than our hearts can respond to. Help us to give ourselves in worship so that we learn what you want us to be. Loving God, in Jesus, you chose to come to the world in humility. You chose the path the world saw as foolish and considered weak. Yet, Jesus gave his life for us and for our salvation. We worship and adore you for the gift of your love. Amen. We Christians are people of repentance. Our faith journey begins by turning away from sin and turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Confessing our sin is a regular part of our Christian lives as the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more like Jesus. So now, in these next few moments, I invite you to bring your sins before the Lord. A first, we'll observe a moment of silence to allow for personal confession, and then you'll uh, join me in speaking together a corporate confession found in your bulletin. So let's now, in a moment of silence, bring our sins before the Lord. And now we confess together as found in your bulletin. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. People of God, you are no longer judged and condemned by the law, for in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. You are clothed in Christ, and you are heirs of the promises of God. 
So sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, we are a forgiven people. Be at peace. Amen. Please be seated. morning. If you'd please turn with me to Galatians 3:23 through 29 for the scripture reading this morning. It is found on page 825. 
Children of God, before the coming of the faith, we were held prisoners under the law, locked up until the faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And as a, a reminder, if you'd like, there's a sermon outline insert in your bulletin. If that helps you take notes or follow along, you're welcome to use that. Miroslav Wolf is a theologian from Croatia, and he's a distinguished professor of theology at Yale University. Now, one day he was visiting a friend, and this friend pastors a church in inner-city Baltimore, in this neighborhood that is really poor, really quite dangerous. And this pastor friend was telling this theologian, Miroslav Wolf, about an untapped resource to bring renewal to his neighborhood. The theological idea called justification by faith. This pastor said that major change in his neighborhood could come through the truth that is faith in Jesus alone and nothing else that makes us right with God. Now, this surprised the theologian because people don't don't usually appeal to that idea to tackle things like poverty or violence or injustice or hopelessness. But after he reflected on it for a bit, Wolf saw that his pastor friend was right. Now, allow me to quote Wolf uh, here in his own words. He writes, Imagine that you have no money, no job. You live cut off from the rest of society in a world ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin is the wrong color. And you have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. Its gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens. And in a thousand ways, society tells you every day that you're worthless because you have no achievement. You are a failure. And you know that you will continue to be a failure because there is no way to achieve tomorrow what you have not managed to achieve today. Your dignity is shattered And your soul is enveloped in the darkness of despair. But the gospel tells you that you are not defined by outside forces. It tells you that you count. Even more, that you are loved unconditionally and infinitely, irrespective of anything you have achieved or failed to achieve. Wolf goes on. Imagine now this gospel, not simply proclaimed, but embodied in a community. 
justified by sheer grace. It seeks to justify by grace those who have been declared unjust by society's implacable law of achievement. Now imagine, furthermore, this community is determined to infuse the wider culture with its economic and political institutions with the message that it seeks to embody and proclaim. This is justification by grace, proclaimed and practiced, Wolf says. You know what? His pastor friend has taken our scripture passage to heart. In the book of the Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus alone is all we need and that Jesus alone changes everything. But before we get into the particulars of the passage we heard read today from Galatians, I want us to take a quick moment to get our head around the big point of the whole book. I see Paul is arguing against this group of people called the Judaizers. This was a specific movement in the first century. And this movement said that to convert to Christ also required you to convert to their particular form of Judaism. Now, the, the, the points of debate or the flashpoints were circumcision and what we might call table laws, rules about what to eat and with whom you should eat. So these Judaizers were combining the Christian gospel with following certain parts of the law of Moses. They were basically saying Jesus Christ plus Moses, not Jesus alone. Today, it would be kind of like it would be like telling a brand new Christian who just comes to faith to say, hey, now you also have to become a Presbyterian or now you also have to become a Lutheran or now you also have to become a Congregationalist in order for you to be accepted by God. Now, that sounds wrong to you. Good. It is. The Christian message is Jesus Christ plus nothing. And that was the heart of the problem with the Judaizer movement in the first century. But it's also the problem with anything that is like it that we might hear today. So you and I, we probably don't debate much about circumcision laws or Jewish table customs. But we have our own version of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ plus blank. Well, what might that blank be for us. Maybe it's something like, well, uh, we might think you must have faith in Jesus and also a bit of disdain for those backwards fundamentalist Christians. Or maybe we think buried deep down in our hearts, this idea, we must have faith in Christ, but also be a respectable, competent person. Maybe we think, oh, you must have faith in Christ, but you also must have a particular view about hot-button sexual ethical issues. Maybe we subtly treat other believers in Christ as inferior Christians when we discover that they might have some views that aren't quite as, shall we say, enlightened as ours. There's lots of things we can put in the blank, even today. But Jesus Christ is adequate. He's all we need to save us. And anything, even good things, that would threaten this truth needs to be put in its place. 
So career success, achievement, that must be put in perspective. Doing things the way we typically do on Sunday, that's got to be put in its place. Holding certain political views needs to be put in its place. All of the things we might be tempted to subtly add to the sufficiency of Jesus needs to be put in their place because only he makes us acceptable to God. But the thing is, it's very tempting to add good things in that blank. Jesus Christ plus a good thing, right? So maybe, uh, for example, it might be reading your Bible. Reading your Bible regularly is a good thing, but if you maybe don't feel loved because you don't read your Bible enough, then it's become Jesus Christ plus Bible reading. Or for another example, I think it's really good and important for us to think about how we can love our neighbors. And considering political factors is a part of that. Loving our neighbors in their life situation involves politics. We need to think Christianly about justice, about the common good, about what good policies look like. Those are great conversations. But the problem is, when our church becomes an echo chamber, or when a church will tisk-tisk at those who had views with which they might disagree... And sometimes it can become Jesus plus our politics. Allow me one more example. It's good to be hardworking. But when our worth becomes connected to our resume, then maybe it becomes Jesus plus achievement. But when we add any plus, it's going to lead to division. When you add anything into that blank, those divisions will show up between people along racial lines, denominations, opinions, or all sorts of other things that put barriers to our Christian fellowship. Jesus Christ plus blank is always going to lead to a message of join our group that does blank rather than live in Christ. So we arrive at the main message of the book of Galatians. Jesus Christ plus anything is nothing. Jesus Christ plus nothing, well, that's everything. Well, the particular focus of our passage that we heard read today from Galatians is about how this big message I just mentioned relates to being children of God. And I want us to think about two aspects here that Paul brings up in our passage. The first has to do with the law, and the second has to do with being in Jesus Christ. So let me turn to each of those briefly here. First, Paul explains in our passage that the law was our guardian that leads us into faith in Jesus Christ, not the other way around, like the Judaizers were suggesting. We get this here in verses 23 through 25. The purpose of the law of Moses, Paul says, is there and he explains it. But when Christ comes, he ushers in what we might call the era of faith. The law of Moses was God's uh, guidelines for his community, for his people. 
but it revealed the sinfulness in their hearts. It locked them up, not because of something wrong with the law, but because of something wrong with them. The law was a factor in revealing sin and restraining it until Christ came. But Paul says, Christ has come so that by faith we might be free from the guilt of sin. Not Christ plus obeying the law of Moses, like it was said in his day. Not Christ plus anything else. Just faith in Christ alone. So to help us understand this, I want you to think of a typewriter. Now, it used to be the case when you wanted to write a letter or an article or a sermon (laughs) uh, or whatever you wanted to write, you would sit down with a typewriter and I'm sure many of you remember this. It had those mechanical long arms that as you press the key, the arm would come and it dink, dink, dink. You remember this? Click, 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 click. Right? But now we sit down to a computer. I mean, if you're still on a typewriter, no offense. Like, it's kind of cool, actually. But most of us sit down to a computer, don't we? But the computer is a development of a typewriter. You know your keyboard on your computer? You know how it's QWERTY? Q-W-E-R-T. That's from a typewriter. That's why it's laid out that way. We use the basic technology of a typewriter, but the computer transcends it. And similarly with the law. Everything the law wanted to be way back with Moses is now found in Christ and the life of the Spirit. So like when I sit down to write a sermon on my laptop, I'm not really doing something fundamentally different than what the typewriter would do, right? I'm putting words on a page eventually. But what I do transcends the typewriter. And so when a Christian lives under Jesus Christ, she's not living contrary or against the law of Moses, but she transcends it. Paul says that now that Christ has come, we don't, Christians don't have to follow the law or anything else led to it, because added to it, because we obey the law of Christ and we please God by following the Holy Spirit. So first thing is Paul talks about the law. But then he talks about the second aspect of our passage for today. In Jesus Christ, we are all children of God, no matter who we are. He unpacks this in verses 26 through 29. Everyone who believes is accepted. Jew or Gentile, whatever your race or ethnicity or culture, if you have faith in Jesus, God accepts you. Slave or free, whatever your social status, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a CEO or a minimum wage worker, whether you're elite or a peon, If you respond to Jesus Christ with faith, God accepts you. Male or female, whatever your gender, if you believe, God accepts you. This is because we are children of God by faith, not by anything else. And then we get to famous, the famous verse 28. Now, this verse might be a reversal of an old Jewish blessing of Paul's day. There was this old Jewish blessing that went around, and it it went like this. Blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile. 
Blessed be God that he did not make me ignorant or a slave. Blessed be God that he did not make me a woman. Well, Paul responds to such a demeaning classifications of humans by writing, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, what does it mean to be in Christ, like he says in that verse? I mean, this isn't the only place that it occurs. The New Testament uses this phrase that we Christians are in Christ. It uses it pretty often. And here he's talking about our location. He's talking about where we are. Not geographically, not physically, where we're here in this building. He's talking about our spiritual location. We've been swallowed up into Christ. We live in him. And we live out of our relationship with him. Those who are in Christ Jesus have faith in him. And that covers all sorts of people from all walks of life. Every nation, men and women, all ethnicities and races, all social backgrounds. Faith in Christ tears down all all of these barriers to fellowship and to unity. In verse 28, Paul gives us three pairs. And as you and I reflect on how should we today receive this passage from Scripture, I want to suggest to you that this verse gives us a cultural mandate, a social mandate, and a gender mandate. So I want to go through those three here as we think about how this speaks to us. The cultural mandate comes from the phrase, neither Jew nor Greek, neither Jew nor Gentile in some translations. One did not have to become Jewish to become a Christian. One did not have to take on the cultural practices of Judaism to become a believer. And for us today to expand that principle... Cultural divisions of any sort have no part in the church of Jesus. This, this doesn't erase cultural differences and ethnic practices. No, of course not. But it says that those differences do not affect whether we are accepted by God. And so those differences must not govern our relationship with other believers. So here's one example of what I think this might mean for us. There are many ways this might apply, but here's one that came to my mind. I love singing hymns. I love that we sing hymns at this church. I, I, I value the uh, thoughtful words, the regard for tradition that comes along with singing hymns. But our Pentecostal brothers and sisters have a really lovely and powerful way of worshiping as they sing to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been to a Pentecostal service. It is brilliant. It is very different. And it is fantastic. If we want to take a step back and think globally, most Pentecostals are black and brown. They come from different cultures than ours and very different approaches. And what I want to suggest is that we need them. We need to learn from them. Because in Jesus Christ... 
We are one with them. The social mandate comes from the phrase, neither slave nor free. Well, slavery was pretty widespread in the ancient world. It was different than American chattel slavery, but it was brutal and unacceptable. In the ancient Roman world, it's been estimated that slaves made up about a third of the population. So here in this verse, speaking to that world, Paul says that one's social status, whether you're a slave or whether you're a free person, is irrelevant for being accepted by God, is irrelevant for our relationships in the church. Now, Paul doesn't quite launch into a full social agenda of abolition, but he does create an atmosphere of unity in the gospel that would lead to the undoing of slavery. He tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ removes all of the basis and grounds for slavery. And so as we receive this today, I think that principle is not just limited to free versus slave. I mean, think about the rich parts of Grand Rapids. Think about the poor parts of Grand Rapids. Think about the dividing lines. Which streets are the boundaries between the rich and the poor? Which streets are the boundaries between black, brown, and white? I bet you many of you have a specific street name in mind, right? We know where these are. Think of the divisions in this city. And I want to tell you that any social divisions, any barriers are torn down by our unity in Jesus Christ. The gender mandate comes from the phrase, nor is there male and female. Now, Paul wrote those words into a world that believed in the inferiority of women. They were not taught the law. They were really only to tend to children. They were demeaned and denigrated in a lot of ways. And again, with, similarly to what he does with slavery, he doesn't quite say, tear down the patriarchy in the words that we might want him to say. But I want to suggest to you that he does something a bit more radical. He cuts it off at the knees, declaring that in Christ men and women are equal and are one. And you know what happened? Right away in that Christian community, things were different. In the early church, women were given positions of leadership. The full equality of women is a truth that is grounded in the Christian gospel. And our calling today as Christians is to shape the world with that truth and to start here in our own community. In the American church, we are too often separated along racial and cultural lines. We are too often separated by class, gender. But that pastor from Baltimore was right. The answer to these divisions is found in a pretty unexpected place in the doctrine of justification by faith. It is only in Christ that we are accepted by God. And it is only in Christ that we can be united together across our divisions. Amen. In a moment, we're going to turn together and sing this powerful truth found in the text of the hymn, In Christ There Is No East or West.
You may be seated. As we enter this time of our service, set aside to collect the monetary offerings that are used to uphold the ministries and the facility of Mayflower, we should also consider that being here in worship on a Sunday morning as an offering as well. Time has become the most valuable thing that we possess. Where we spend it and how we share it shapes our values and dictates where our hearts lie. To set aside time to worship on a Sunday morning is a specific choice that includes saying no to other activities and saying yes to being in this community. Some weeks, that's an easier choice than others, but it's always a choice. So may we choose this space to come and worship, knowing that our hour has an impact on our lives and those around us.
At Mayflower, we come from a variety of different Christian traditions and denominations. All followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what your Christian background is, are welcome here to this table. Jesus said, Come to me, all ye that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament sealed in my blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink, Do this in remembrance of me. And every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes. Sisters and brothers, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ has died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith. With thanksgiving. Now, as you come forward, uh, you may partake up front. You could step right aside here if you'd like, or you can return to your seats and partake in your own time. But now I invite all who are willing to come forward for this feast. And I'm sorry, if if you're unable to come forward, I'll let the ushers know and they'll bring it to you and they'll serve you in that way in your seat. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you.
As our Savior Jesus Christ has taught us, let's now pray the Lord's Prayer together and the version found in your bulletin. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. them do it. Sorry, it's different in the bulletin. It's from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. If you're able, please stand for our final hymn.
Jesus Christ plus anything is nothing. Jesus Christ plus nothing, well, that's everything. As we depart from this place, go and be peacemakers, agents commissioned by Christ to do the work of God's reconciliation in the world. And now receive the the benediction. God has called you this week, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. We go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God.